Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, August 11th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast are Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other wonderful publications. John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. Rob Pegarero, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter PC Magazine, and USA Today is at the Black Hat Conference in good old Vegas, undoubtedly losing lots of money, and we'll have to help him when he um, returns. But let me start with Stuart. Stuart, how are you doing? How are things going in your life? Well, right now, just trying to get this connection my apologies for that stupid green screen behind I, I, i'm a tech reporter who can't seem to solve my own tech problem no that's not hey everybody runs into bugs all the time god knows can't blame you for that you know with all the money that we pay you for this podcast i expect you to have a better experience it, you're right. definitely getting your money's worth but <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> old john how are you i can't wait to see you in, in the flesh with uh, rob at uh, ifa coming up in a couple of weeks but how's how are things going i'm looking forward to berlin it's been going well but i've been doing a lot of traveling for work uh so i'm i'm just you know what it's like you get back home and you like you have time to do laundry and then pack a bag again and off you go so i've been doing a lot of that right now and uh eva will be sort of the culmination of you know, a good uh, eight weeks of traveling, but, um, but it's been great. I mean, I, I'm not complaining. It's really nice to be able to do that stuff again. So not complaining, not complaining. No. You know, I, I generally, you know, but the big challenge with IFA, especially if you're coming from the West coast, like I am, is the, the flight out there. I'm going to, you know, you get, it's like going to Asia. If you're in New York, you just pass out for, you know, as soon as you get to the hotel. So, yeah. but I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm looking forward to seeing Rob and the rest of the clan. I've seen over the last few years when IFA was in person, but yeah. um, let's tee up the first topic on the podcast here. Uh, let me turn the slides on here. Um, Got to talk about this a little bit. Um, Going to be interesting. You know, Amazon, you know, um, kind of told the world um, uh, earlier, I think it was earlier this week. No, was it on Friday or was it on Monday? Friday. It was, it was Friday. Yeah. They're, they're acquiring iRobot, um, you know, which, Again, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, to like about it in terms of um, what they may be able to do uh, from a uh, from a uh, technology standpoint in terms of expanding their footprint within the home. Um, the uh, There's also some things I think people need to be uh, have on their radar screen. We'll, we'll certainly uh, get into that in a second. No question that Amazon's interest is in maps. I wrote a piece about this on my newsletter uh, a few days ago, but they're you know, the, the, apparently the, uh, I, uh, iRobot's reporting that people are still, um, that the, the map functionality on just one of their models reaches 45 or 50 million people, if I'm not mistaken, which is a humongous number um, when you think about it. But obviously the, the marketing uh, implications of Amazon having access to maps of just 40 or 50 million or even more homes in terms of uh, what you could do with that information, both good and bad, kind of scares people. But uh, let me uh, just uh, get, get John into the conversation. John, your thoughts on the acquisition and uh, and just knowing the way you um, think, do you see any positive stuff coming out before you hit the negative stuff, any positive implications of the acquisition? 
I, I just thought it was one of those brilliant. I think that was a brilliant acquisition. That was worth every it's worth every penny for Amazon. I think it's a good fit for um, iRobot. I just think mm -hmm. it's it's a good, smart, smart thing to do. And you know, with all the deals that are made, this actually is a good one. I mean, in terms of business and technology, they fits together very nicely. Synergy um, standpoint, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you think about. You, you know, you're going to merge that with the, the ring and everything else. I mean, it just makes a lot, a lot of sense to me, at, at least. Um, so I think it's sensible. And knowing the guy who started it, you know, all, and I remember him when he was like a dweeby MIT researcher guy, you know, and, and I, I think you guys remember that too, going, why would anybody want a thing that rolls around the floor and yeah. vacuums? It seemed like a stupid idea, right? So uh, I think Stuart and I, he was at that, dinner one of the cta dinners we were at he got an honorary thing so i had dinner with him that night he sat next to me anyway so i think it's a great idea that way um is there a potential for some of this stuff yes and and uh being invading people's privacy and becoming i mean amazon is not one of the more forthcoming companies they've out and out lied to the press about what they do information whether they're listening or not they said to us no we're not of course they were you know you have a good track record i think they're more catnip i'm not sure they'll be trying to sell the Roomba, but um I, yeah it's something to keep an eye on absolutely you're right yeah i mean the one thing that's intriguing to me is that the vast majority of robot vacuums on the market and i, and I cover this category pretty closely most of them when they make them when they're they don't have real real life cameras they have lidar they have capabilities right that allow you to um, comprehend the, your, the map surface in your home, but they're not taking images of you or taking pictures of you. I've always thought that the interesting usage model for robot vacuums ultimately, because it's a mobile device that moves around in your home, is that if you mount a camera on that and the right type of sensors, it would be an interesting um, surveillance device in case someone breaks the windows and comes in, it can investigate where is that noise coming from. Um, and so to me, that's, a, that's an interesting usage model that Amazon has the technology from a, from a development standpoint that I could, could see be interesting. But, you know, to your point, John, I think what they're looking for is that if they knew that over time your guest office turned into a, um, uh, turned into a, a, a nursery, well, guess what? The marketeers go crazy and all of a sudden you start seeing a lot of ads for uh, diapers and other types of things. So to me, to me, that's the long-term play. I, and I, again, that, that you know, Amazon is going to have to be very, um, um, uh, ex, uh, they're going to have to be very focused on articulating its messaging around. Hey, by, by the way, we're not surveilling you personally. We're not going to do intrusions that are going to violate privacy-related things. So I think the thing some people are going to be are going to be interested in that part of the um, argument as they kind of they digest iRobot. But what's your thoughts, Stuart, in terms of, you know, in terms of um, the good and the bad of the acquisition from your perspective? Well, I'm actually a very, very smart acquisition for Amazon. When I first saw the news, I, you know, it was a sharp, literally the last thing I expected. I'm actually working with them on a review of their latest model. So, so and I've met Colin I Angle, uh, um, and he, he is, he seems like sort of a bird type. And he's a couple of things. ZDNet did a a one on response with him in the wake of this to address these security concerns. And the Roomba, other one, 
other um, RoboVac in, in the marketplace don't use LiDARs. But the cameras that they use are very low resolution. It's mostly light, dark, and object. As you said, they are not taking pictures of your rooms and whatnot. And angle a ZD net reporter that the information can complete within the device and the connection between the Wi-Fi connection between the device, the cloud, and uh, the Roomba app. Um, the other thing that I'm vaguely reading, um, Angle is going to remain in charge of the company. So whether or not, he, to me anyway, somebody who is concer concerned about user privacy, I mean, their privacy ever since they announced that they were going to have these maps, um, this map long time ago. So this is not a new issue for them and one that they've been addressed on keeping that information private. Now, what kind of, uh, of user data upstreaming to Amazon? I, I'm of mind and of a privacy mind. The cynic in me goes, I've already been giving them a little extra information. I, I don't understand, you know, I, I resignation. That all of these companies just know all this crap about me already. And my room layout is just so insignificant in, in the grand scheme of on me already. Um, the, so, so, I think what Amazon is doing play here, and I think it, it may have something to do with the camera, in as much as they have, have the Astro, they're rolling Alexa. Yep. and they have a flying security drone, a drone. I think they're looking at this, and they have ring also. So I think this According is really of, of their entire portfolio, as well as a pot another potential video. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite as forgiving, uh, and not that you're forgiving, because you're not a forgiving type of guy, Stuart. <laughs> but but I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm I'm of the view that maps are pretty important information. I'm not sure I would want my neighbor getting exposed to the layout of my home. I would. I don't think I want strangers knowing what the layout of my home is for a bunch of reasons. They, someone breaks in, they know exactly what rooms to go into. That may sound trivial, and maybe I'm, I'm overly paranoid, but I'm not really crazy about that. Um, the, the I, I think the interesting thing is, and presumably this has all been worked out, you know, before any type of a uh, big merger like that, it, it's really an acquisition. It's not a merger. Amazon's the bigger company. Is that right? I'm sure there's been agreement at the senior levels within Amazon, the senior level, Colin, at the um, at the iRobot level. What's the vision? You know, what are we going to do once we digest you? You know, what capabilities? I mean, Amazon does have a pretty good track record in terms of developing products that are interesting. They always have kind of a, a revenue angle associated with it. I think they see the smart home as a revenue goldmine. The, the various different, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, capabilities that you can that you can offer a homeowner, uh, whether it's Ring with security-related stuff or Eero with 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 uh, wireless uh, capability. I think they have some interest inter interest beyond that. You know, not just at the hardware level, but at the services level as well. But you know, it, it, I think it's a good, mer an interesting merger and a good merger from a synergy. I mean, how many? Uh, um, Acquisitions that the three of us seen over the last six months, where you just you tap your head saying, "What the heck were they well, thinking?" You know, there's another, there's another piece 
to this that I think is important, perhaps, and that is that, that Roomba actually started off as a military contract, and they worked very closely with NASA yes. on the robots that are on, and this to a certain extent fits in perfectly with either what Bay. I know Bezos is in, um, but the fact that Bezos is doing space stuff and Amazon and their reach into other um, government, military, space, commercialization of space is going to be a huge, huge business. And by far has relationships with NASA and already has experience in, in space. That may be a piece that very few people are actually looking at that Amazon is more valuable than the consumer vacuum cleaner business. Well, yeah, yeah. The, and the price pressure, like, you know, I've reviewed Eufy and all these other ones, they're half the price to do just as well as the Roomba. So there's definitely that pressure. And there's also Amazon's robot, which but nobody really has and hasn't seen the technology from these guys certainly help juice that a bit too and and i yeah. think you'll see uh, we may see a robot maybe that's what we'll be talking about a year from now from them well well, well certainly more for us to talk about yeah well there's certainly more for us to talk about this will be the last time we, we chat about this but to john's point you know uh, i robot has been going through a lot of um I mean, they're not in financial decline. You know, I, I want to be very, very clear, but their last quarter was not great. Uh, the, the, the robot space now has become an under $300 ASP type of business where the margins are very, very low. It's not the old, the old days when they were seven, 800 bucks, but you've got a lot of low, uh, low cost competitors who um, have really knocked the hell out of the profit model for a robot vacuum. And I think they, that category now has kind of morphed into a, um, like the, the old VCRs, you know, when you're during the last days of the VCR, or the last days of the DVD, if it broke, you didn't you, you didn't get it fixed. You replaced it with a cheaper model, you know, yeah. and, uh, and and that's not good, I think, from a uh, from a from a business model standpoint, if you're iRobot. So the, the, I think the timing is really good if you're iRobot. But let's let's bring up the next topic that I want to hit here. And that is uh, the Samsung Galaxy Unpacked 2022 event was yesterday. Nothing. There was really nothing earth-shattering uh, about the event from my perspective. I don't know if you guys watched. Um, I did a blog on this yesterday, and what's interesting to me is that you it's very hard to distinguish sometimes now between a Galaxy event and a um, and an Apple event. They look the same, honestly, from a different appearance standpoint. I'm not, obviously, when you see the Samsung logo, you know, you, all, <laughs> all those kinds of uh, things get to uh, sell, but... But, but the reality is the look and feel, the little sardonic comedic touches at the beginning. And uh, But the, the, the thing that was interesting to me, they announced a few things that we'll get into, but they are really hitting the foldable phone, foldable device category very hard. I mean, they've been in this category now for almost two years, a little bit over two years. Yeah. Um, foldable phones, they're certainly not the majority of the market, but we talked about it a few weeks ago, if I recall. They have actually had some, you know, Pretty, I wouldn't say non-material sales, but the number I think uh, is surprising, um, and um, I, I really think they want to own that category. And I think going beyond that, uh, I think the challenge they're having is that in the the category that I really think is interesting is not the candy bar form factor, the flip 
factor. I think that's interesting uh, to me, the category that Apple may, that may tackle mm -hmm. first, but it's kind of like that iPad mini category where you want to really their fold format, which is all, like a book style form factor that, wow, I can have this really massive piece of glass that I can fold in half. It's really not that obtrusive when, it, when, when I fold it in half or fold it top to bottom. Some really interesting usage models present itself that you did it. The problem is that's an $1,800 product, which is not, it's certainly not an iPad mini category uh, from a price point standpoint. So let me start with you, John. What, what did you think of the announcement? Anything jump out at you that was, you know, was kind of interesting? I mean, you know, nothing really did jump. I mean, obviously the two phones, the the uh, the Flip 4 and um, the, the Fold 4. So it sounded like yeah. we're trying to be members of the Avengers or something. But the um, <laughs> $1,000 for the little, you know, the, the that's a lot of money and uh, the fold for at 1800. That's like, what are they talking about? Like that yeah. for a phone? I mean, you can't, it's nice to have that extra real estate if you're traveling like we're doing and looking at a map and trying to figure out where you are and things like that. It's very helpful, but it's not worth $1,800 helpful. Right. Um, and it's, it, you can't type on it. You know, there, there's a, there's a limit to that for what you can do with that form factor. So, um, it's interesting that they're pushing it as much as they are um, and want to want to own that space. And maybe they just feel like competition is going to be coming in that space and they want to own it before anybody else gets there. But um, I, I thought it was odd, you know, and, I, and I'm looking at the OnePlus, the 10T phone. That is a top tier phone, fastest Qualcomm Snapdragon processor in it. It comes with 256 gigabytes of storage, you know, and every bell and whistle a great camera on it etc 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 just kind of endless for 650 dollars i mean right. it, it, it makes no sense to go and buy another android phone like that for a thousand that has the same capabilities it doesn't really have anything more um and OnePlus is thinner lighter i mean it's got a fantastic screen it's been leading in screens with a higher frame rate than any of the other people uh super fast charging now it's like it doesn't make any sense but you know i guess if you want that form factor that foldable thing yeah i still like the no, start I, 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 for that well you know john you make an interesting point that you know given the fact that we are in a recession you know yeah. a technical recession we were just talking about this before the podcast you know people are using gas buddy like a certain host of a podcast to save right. a few bucks is this the right time to introduce $1,800 phones. <laughs> and and I guess the way Samsung is looking at this, because let's face it, guys, Apple is going to get into this into this space. I right. mean, there's all, there's, if, if you read Apple Insider all the time, they're submitting patents, um, patent applications. They, they understand there's some usage model applications. And I think, of course, what Apple will do, they will, when they get into the category, there will be two or three usage models related to the foldable design that, oh, guess what? You could not do this unless you had a foldable design. I have a feeling they'll do it at a, at, at, at a less than $1,800 price point because I, they're, not, they're not impervious to price elasticity as well. But I think this is all about the future. And Samsung really wants to own this category um, very much, by the way. And Stuart, you'll probably have a few things to say about this. You know, not too many people remember that Apple did not lead the market in large screen phones, even though that now is a very, very big part of their overall smart, their their portfolio. They sell a lot of Max Pro phones, 
Uh, they don't really have a lot of, sh they don't ship a human, I mean, in comparison to Samsung, they don't do it. They don't ship a lot of volume at that low end. Most of their volume is at the high end, but it was Samsung who led the charge on larger form factor phones for years before Apple jumped into that. So Stuart, your thoughts. Well, I agree with you, but I don't think it's the way that I, I look at it a little differently. I think Sam enormously long game here. The volume that we're talking about for these phones is in a marketplace where there are a billion smartphones sold every year. Is doing is essentially a very expensive to try to figure out exactly what the market is for foldable and these two form factors I think will eventually very well be between the fold which is to my mind much more of a business phone sort of like the Galaxy Note and the flip mm -hmm. which is much more of a mainstream consumer device of its form factor and the interesting ways that you could use the camera for instance if folded you could use the rear cameras the high resolution rear camera as a small 1.9 inch OLED on the front as, as your screen. So you get much opening up this huge phone. It's easier to hold. Or you can just open it up half comes its own tripod. So I think I think Samsung has been experimental, has taken an aspect of the phone and improved it. And this time was the cameras. Been essentially experimenting in public and having it funded by charging. I don't think they care if that, that many people buy it. I'm sure that their that their their, um, their model, their financial model for this is as long as they break even on these first generations until the market hits and until they hit what is the perfect product. Of course, the danger is as you mentioned, that Apple is going to school on them. Apple is probably watching what Samsung is doing and going, that's good, that's not so good, into yeah. their product development. So it's it's a double-edged sword for Samsung. I think a leadership role in the market. But, but at the same time, the educating everybody else, especially Apple, and Apple is not going to, until they know that they, they can nail it, and it will bring an improvement Samsung may be doing. So I think this is a much longer game that we are three innings of. Um, and I think both sides are trying to figure out will buy a foldable. Now remember that the fold is twice as thick as a so you really have to have a very heavy pocket. The the, <laughs> the flip uh, is an iPhone Pro Max, and it's a little actually a little lighter, even thicker. So I I I think that Samsung and Apple are not only trying to is, but whether or not there's a product there to begin with that people will, will buy. So I think this guy said in the early innings of this. And I think both sides are jockeying for position to assist. Samsung's not the only one in the foldable market. Almost every Chinese brand is looking at, has already come out with a foldable. 
Motorola's coming out with a new Razer, I think, uh, sometime in the next, um, and that'll obviously also be a flip model. So I think there's a lot of experimenting and possibly a very expensive focus group to figure out whether or not there is a market for full and what that what product will actually be the sweet spot in that right. market. No, I, I agree with that entirely. I mean, you know, Apple can sit back there, you know, see this all play out because presumably there is there are going to be some things that Apple likes and some things that they probably would have a different view on from a usage model standpoint. And by the way, you know, the you know, the durability issues, which plagued the first round of, um, of, of flip phones, uh, um, uh, foldable phones that, that Samsung went to. And it was a bit embarrassing for Samsung, if you recall, when that happened. I think Apple, you know, when they get into this, they will get into it with, with all um, with all of their appendages and they will do it in a very full throated manner and with the benefit of um, understanding how the market reacted. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But, you know, but Samsung obviously is making a big investment here. I mean, they're committed to this category and, you know, yeah. and, I, and, I, I'll, and I'll be very honest with you, I'll just close on this. I am not sure they care about if they make money. In the, in, with these phones, I think even though they're, they're charging an arm and a leg, to them they see this as re, as research and development, real research and development, where they're selling phones to collect all that data and collect um, some learnings that help them make better phones over time. So, let us go to the next, our last topic here, and this is going to be a fun one. You know, Stuart, I'll let you take the lead on this in a second. Um, there was an interesting cybersecurity report that 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 um, disclosed, at least with the data they collected, and I want to be careful about this, that the United States is the number one least cybersecure country. And, of course, when you peel into the data, it's data that um, is pretty narrow. Apparently, that it, it only looked at Windows PCs that had Microsoft Defender, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Microsoft Defender. It's a pretty narrow look. But nevertheless, it's kind of interesting. And just want you know, with that caveat, I want to get uh, Stuart your kind of view of this data. But not surprised. Um, we have done so little to protect our cyber existences here. Um, and I think it's just the nature of democracy and and a lot of. And the cap, cap where a lot of companies don't want to put into place the kind of um, that would either cost them money or cost them users or cost them access. So I so I think there's a, a combination of things in the U.S. that makes it far more press side of the coin is that our users are not as educated as they ought to cybersecurity. Um, there are just so many ways that a consumer can get consumers just don't know enough to avoid getting rooked online, clicking on the wrong things in emails that they ought not to be clicking on, you know, and, and the, and, and about so many, many times that our, our, the, the legislative is just so inept when it comes to putting out any kind of um, technology regulation that I don't think they're equipped to deal with this. And when along the lines of Amazon and Facebook and Twitter, uh, um, who make who to fail companies and have all this lobbying money to 
the government as much as they can. Again, shocked, not surprised. Shocked from the point bad as it is, but not surprised that it is what it is. Yeah, I'd like to see more data, you know, before I pass any judgment. I, certainly, it's kind of like, to me, a canary in the coal mine type of data. You know, yes. it's not something you want to ignore and, and dismiss completely. But, you know, again, not that I want to be, you know, you guys are, are, are journalists. You know, you're, you're paid to be dubious and skeptical, which I think most, both of you are on a lot of tech topics. But I, you know, I'm, I, you know, I just think that we should be a bit care, uh, careful about, you know, you know, hitting the panic buttons that America is the worst country to, to, to work, to deal in. Because to me, a lot of this is related to the fact that consumers, and let's just talk about consumers, not enterprise accounts. Consumers, for whatever reason, a lot of them still are not, you know, they don't feel motivated to secure their devices, whether it's PCs, whether it's their home routers. And I just don't get that. You know, after years and years, you know, couple of decades of, of these horror stories that you read about it all the time at the end of the day a consumer has to take accountability for securing their, it's kind of like your house if you have an, if you have a house and you leave the doors open all the time and you don't have locks don't be surprised if some people break in you know and i'll tell and you unfortunately mark i want to throw an appropriate story here i got an email the other day from a friend they were forwarding me a story that they thought was interesting. And they put about 20, 25 emails. In, and, the, and this is somebody who's been around, uh, who theoretically knows what to do. And I don't ever do, do that again. If you're going to send out an email, un, otherwise unconnected people, you have to put them all in the BCC line because now you have exposed all of those emails to all the hackers out there. Because to your email is now sending all of these emails out to the wild. Why am I still explaining this to people who ought to know better? I think that the operative phrase is, that why don't they... Um... I don't want to attack consumers, but they should know better. And the question is, why don't they know better? John, well, I'll, 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 John yeah, I mean, look, I have I have a, an answer for that. After spending, you know, 20 some odd years writing cybersecurity stories. And look, we used to test for the stoned virus in a lab, you know, with in a, a secure lab setting. So we were doing stuff like that back in the day. But look, when Experian just hands everybody the information, just here on a platter, here's 44 million personal information, driver's licenses, credit history, everything. There's no motivation for a consumer to try and do anything when these companies are completely irresponsible and incompetent. And you can't get out of Experian. It's not like, well, I don't subscribe to T-Mobile or I don't. I can sure. choose not to buy that service. They've got you. So if Experian is just going to give this stuff away, I, I think a lot of consumers no, are John, like, well, John, what, John, what can I, I do? I get, that, I get that completely. I get that yeah. completely. doesn't so. take these... The, 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 these folks off the hook. But at the end right. of the day, consumers have to take responsibility for their digital footprint in their home. And I just sometimes, I, I, you know, it's kind of like to me, as much as I don't want to pay McAfee or Norton $100 a year or $80 a year, whatever the heck they charge, right. I've got much more reasonable over time to, to put antivirus software on my PC. You know, 
or, or Mac. But I just don't get it. Well, there's some industry standard things. For example, I've had this discussion with most of the network companies, um, extant. There's no reason to broadcast your SSID, but they all do as a default. And yes. you it, and they make it almost impossible to shut that off. So, I mean, that's just incompetence. And they're the networking companies. They're the ones who are <laughs> supposed to be. So, you know, they've made it pretty much impossible for the consumer. I don't think it's on the consumer. I think this is on those tech companies. You know, and an experience, you know, one of the cases is they didn't, pat, they didn't patch their patchy servers. I mean, come on, you know, a three-year-old can do that. Okay, I'll just push the button here. I mean, ridiculous stuff. So I think now, consumers feel helpless. And I think rightly so they should feel helpless because they pretty much are. They don't yes. really have any control over it. No, and I get that. We're, we're almost out of time here. But yeah. the thing I'll close on is that the reason why the experience of the world, what I think drives you crazy and what drives me crazy and what drives Stuart crazy is that the repercussions for this, when they, when they, oh, these data breaches happen, right. there's no repercussions. And right. you and I, we, the three of us, and when Robin's been on the call, we've talked about this over and over again. If all of a sudden you find Experian $35 million every time there was a breach, I guarantee you it wouldn't right. happen again. You know, right. it just can't well, be they send out an email. We're sorry. That's, that's right. generally the repercussions. Right. Close it for us, Stuart. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say it's a cost-benefit analysis because we live in a capitalist. It's a company who does masses amount, a whole masses amount of data feel it's too or less expensive. I mean, to do not be secure. Then that's this is this is not rocket science. If you're right, if they were find more to 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 restitute people who have been who have been violated by their not be a sloppy but it doesn't cost them it costs right. them much less to be sloppy wouldn't they be sloppy right. the um the reputational sort of thing can be handled by a pr and you know i've been through this with these i've i've, I've had to Lock or freeze all of all of my credit reports and refreeze them whenever I needed to do anything. And it's a giant pain in the neck. It, it, right. But until it actually, you're right, until it actually costs them more to be secure, they will not be security conscious. I agree. Well, we'll certainly talk more about this in the future. This issue ain't going away, but it was an interesting report uh, to take a look at. So, guys, thanks for taking the time to join me, joining me today for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, please make sure that the Smart, uh, the Smart Tech Check podcast is part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week, guys. Thanks for calling in. Mm -hmm.